as I mentioned, that I would be doing um, um, <clears throat> at least I, I, I may I may conclude my message on fear, may expound upon it in in some other uh, aspects uh, later on next year, coupled with these. But for for the month of December, this will be the last time that I speak on fear and overcoming fear and, and understanding fear and, and those kind of things. But uh, it is one of those, you know, uh, subjects that I said I would come back and I would speak on. There is quite a bit more uh, to talk about because I think if you look in the Scripture, there's multiple places where uh, some really God-fearing people and, and some really amazing witnesses of the Lord demonstrated fear in their life and the ones that overcame that fear, not through their own power and their own might, but through, through God, um, they accomplished great things. And I think those are the examples that are provided for, for you and I, you know, for us to see those things so that we can, we can lean on them for strength and encouragement. And so I would like to start this morning's uh, message just like we did um, last week uh, with, uh, with the song... Uh, that inspired these messages, and the song is by Zach Williams, and it's uh, Fear is a Liar. And as it comes over the speaker now, you can hear it. Um, I, it sends a powerful message that I, I think that is valuable for all of us to, to lean on. As the message is titled... Fear is a liar. <clears throat> and, you know, one of the things that I want to make abundantly clear uh, concerning the subject of fear, there's a proper fear, there's a godly fear, but it also doesn't make you strange when you have an earthly fear and a man-made fear, a, a man-derived fear. In other words, flesh makes you human. Some say, well, I never fear anything. I've shared this with you guys um, before. Generally, you know, one of the quickest ways to not fear anything is to not do anything. So in other words, if you never get off the couch, there's nothing to be afraid of. Does that, that make sense? So that's one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is, is that you can be so fearful of everything that you encounter that it paralyzes you. The very fact, and I can share this with you guys confidently, the very fact that I play that song, or Brother Justin helped me play that song, thank you, and um, playing that before you guys, there's an element of fear in me doing that with you guys. You do realize that, right? Because... Typically, depending on the certain sects and groups that you run in, we don't do that. But I shared something with the Brother Chad not too long ago. I'm done running from some image that somebody, a, a series of brethren have called us to. Amen. I'm done running from that. I'm done trying to conform to that. I gave that up several years ago. And I, I shared this with Brother Chad that it, we were having lunch, actually probably closer to dinner. And, and there was something, it clicked inside of me. It was about four years ago. And everybody remembers, um, uh, well, I don't know if everybody does, but if anybody hasn't seen the movie God's Not Dead, 
the first one. Um, uh, it's a very, very good movie. Very, very good movie. And there's a, uh, uh, there's a song in there. It's the anthem of the whole movie. It's My God is Not Dead, right? My God's Not, your God's Not Dead, right? Um, and so one of my kids at the time was very young. He's about three years old. And we were walking home from the park. And the fact that I watched that movie sometimes, you know, I went out. I felt like I was going out on a limb in some regards, right? Foolishly. You watch that and you see, you know, it's like, and I thought, man, that was a really good movie. <coughs> Sent all the right messages. So I highly recommend it. If you have not watched that movie, God's Not Dead. It is a very good movie. I mean, God's Not Dead 2 is very good. It's not as good as the first one. I heard there's going to be a third one, right? There is a third one. But anyways, you can watch those. And so we're coming home from the park. And my son was on his, one of my sons was on his, on his, uh, uh, what is that called? Training bike? Balance bike. Balance bike has no pedals. Okay, he's about three, I think, at the time. And we're just walking back from the park. And out of nowhere, my son starts singing, my God's not dead. He's surely alive. He's living on the inside. Right? And I'm sitting there thinking, it's inside him. The truth is inside him. The song is inside of him. And, you know, at three, they don't know any different. They just repeat what, what you expose them to, right? And I, it dawned on me at that point that I was failing my children. Now, was I a complete failure? No. But was I missing out on an opportunity to instill godly messages and godly things into their hearts and their minds because somebody so aptly in a very... And I think this was from Satan, personally. The Jesus junk store, right? The Bible book store. We say those stupid terms because we feel as though we can differentiate ourselves from everybody else right you go yeah it's the jesus junk store we don't want to go to there meanwhile back at the ranch metaphorically speaking right when no one's looking you're going to that very jesus junk store to get that same bible that you need or we decide that we say you can only preach out of New King James or King James. Or we say you can only preach out of New American Standard and all these other kind of things. Brethren, I'm, I'm here to tell you all that stuff doesn't matter. Any of those things that you get caught up on, they are absolute distractions straight from the pit of hell. And it's there, they are there to, to detract you from the gospel message and spreading his word. I want no part of that stuff. I hope you don't either. That is not what sets God's people aside from this world. What sets us aside from this world is the fact that you serve Jesus Christ, the one true Savior. He saved you. He is saving us and he is saving this entire assembly. That is the God in whom we serve. That is the God in whom we put our faith in. Amen. You fear nobody. You fear no group. You fear no person in this world because they cannot kill your soul. Nobody in this room controls where your soul goes. Jesus Christ does. Nobody in here 
We spent so much time worrying about first faith salvation and baptism and all these other kind of things. You look at it, look, the spectrum of the salvation of God is this. You first believe in him and you believe that his salvation is right and true. Amen. You believe in Jesus Christ. You say, well, you give everybody everything up front. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, the people that give it to them up front got bigger churches than us. They save more souls than us. The ones that decide, hey, I'm not going to teach that, that I'm not going to believe those things, I'm not going to do those things, are dying on the vine. They're not increasing in number. They are decreasing. They are dying. Why? There's something wrong with your religious beliefs. It's sending the wrong message. Oh, it's just a sign of the times. That's hogwash. That's an excuse. That's like looking in the mirror going, my belt don't fit. I got to put another couple notches in there, right? Well, it's the dryer. And Brother Billy sent me a a funny quote this week. It was, uh, he said, man, my dryer shrinks clothes. (laughs) You could say that. But the reality of it is you're shoveling too much food into your mouth. Right? And we all have a problem with that. I'm here to tell you, brethren, the thing that we must fear is failing God. That's it. Don't fear mankind. Don't fear what some religious organization has set inside. Don't fear some list of unspoken rules. All that stuff has got us is dwindled down to nothing. Don't play those games no more. Forget about all that stuff. Don't be afraid of what some person thinks of you. When it's time to spread the gospel message, spread the gospel message. Teach them about Christ. Tell them who Jesus is. Don't be afraid of that. In 1 John chapter 4, Verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And that is the God's honest truth. In other words, if you want to bite and devour your brother... It is impossible for you to love your God. Oh, wait a minute. Well, we, we, we like to cleverly devise it as disagreements. I, got, I disagree with that guy. No, if you don't, if you don't want to help somebody, you, you, you know, someone made the comment today, you, you, you're, you're fearful of preaching from the gospel or from the, from, from the word, not because the world's going to attack you. Your own brethren will attack you. That's a problem. And if you don't think that God is going to answer and make people answer for that, boy, you got another thing coming. Because that tells me that's a fundamental rule in his gospel message. It's a fundamental rule in the word of God. You can't run around treating people like trash. That's not how that works. He 
He says you are incapable of loving God if you cannot love your own brethren. It doesn't work. You understand that's how that works. In other words, you show your love for God by the way you love your brother. That shows God. He looks down from a, you know, from a management position, if you will. He looks down and goes, oh, they get it. Look it. They get it. They love each other. The 23rd Psalm. Says in verse 1 The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness. And loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. That's a reminder for us, brethren. When we draw closer to the Lord, we fear nothing. Nothing that man can throw at us. When our anxiety, when fears, when, the, when things begin to creep in, we start to lose sight of that. We start to lose sight of the assuredness, the assuredness of God and his steadfastness, his rod and his staff. Everything that he has is representation of his power, of who God is or who our God is. We start to lose sight of it. We start to forget. Wait a minute. He's in charge of all this. And I like what he says in verse three says he guides me in the path of righteousness, not just so you can make you can become a millionaire or not just so that you can be prosperous. And not so that we could be, you know, something done come, right? But he says, for his name's sake. In other words, God blesses us with a reason. You showed him whatever you have handled so thus far. He'll give you some more because you earned it. What? He works that way? Yeah, he does. The 34th Psalm. This is a scripture here in verse four it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, now, sometimes when fear comes up, what we need to do is we need to have the ability and to be reminded of the fact that we need to lean on God. Fear and anxiety only wells up and begins to well up to the point where it becomes uh, to the to the point where uh, it becomes overwhelming when we try and calculate how we're going to fix it. Right. How we're going to make it right. How we're going to we're going to be able to, to 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 make it happen. Right. Well, guess what? You can't do it by yourself. That's newsflash. You know, you pull the curtains back. There isn't anybody out there, especially sitting in this room. That's the difference between us and Christians. Right. We understand that we're a mess and that God is the only one that keeps us on the right path. And our adherence to his his gospel and the things that we find in his word and our faith in him Look, we're all messed up. 
on the inside. We all got messed up families. We all got messed up people in our families. We all got messed up thought processes. We come from all kinds of different walks of life. You look at that, you know, you couldn't put this whole room together and go, well, you know, let me draw out a plan to get every single one of you in here at this certain time. I couldn't do it. You know how I know? Well, let me rephrase that. That's how you know it's God. God brought you here today, not me. The fact that you're sitting here, the fact that, we, that he brought us all together from all kinds of different walks of life, that's a testimony of the gospel message and the, and the spirit alive and well in this life, in this world. He does it, not you or I. Now, we can be effective when we're together, and God empowers us to do that. But as it says there, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Fear does not make you any less valuable to God. It just makes you human. But you have to lean upon his word because his word and his spirit teaches you how to overcome and really how to work through our fears. See, working through your fear, and and we'll read here, and we're going to go to Exodus chapter 3 here just in a moment. You know, the thing to remember we always think when something is fearful, right? We like to, we want it just taken away from us, right? We just want it done. Take my fear from me. And, and you go, okay, well, that's good. And, and here, as it says here in verse four, it says, deliver me from all my fears. Now, what does that deliverance look like? God brings us through those fears. Why does he do it that way? Why doesn't he just... Almost like magic pixie does, kind of sprinkle it down there for us when our fears arise and when, our, when the things that are troubling us. Why didn't he just take it away from us? Because we don't learn the lesson if he does. Amen? He's got to take us through those things. He's got to show us how to overcome those things. He's got to, we've got to be in a position to where we're looking at our adversary eyeball to eyeball. Why? Because he's got our undivided attention at that point. Because if he just takes those things away from you, because I don't like it and it's scary, you don't learn the lesson. We don't learn the lesson. There ain't a single one of us in here go, well, that's not fair. No, it's not a wish list. We don't give God our prayers and it's just a wish list that we hope for. That's not how that works. Every single one of us deals with challenges and, and, and difficulties in our life. Even the richest of richest people deal with challenges. There isn't a single one of us. Why? Because that's the way God designed mankind. Every one of us struggles with stuff. Asking God to simply take those things from us will, will, will remove us from the opportunity to learn the lesson that he has set aside for us. So that he could use this for a greater purpose and a greater, greater reason at a later point. Yeah. You mean God uses us in spite of our challenges, in spite of our failures? Hey, I tell you what, there's nothing greater than to have a failure and to have a lesson tailor-made for you so that you don't do that failure again in the future. You could help somebody with that, can't you? You could wrap your arm around somebody and go, hey, when I had that happen to me, let me tell you what happened. Let me pray with you. This is the prayer that I prayed. Just buckle up because sometimes it's going to take a while for the Lord to work on you concerning those things, right? 
It happens. Our own inadequacies and fears can be paralyzing. Self-doubt. I want you guys to think about this, okay? Self-doubt can be a faith killer. Some of you might say, I'm, you know, we listen to the song, it says, I'm not good enough. Newsflash, ain't a single one of us in here good enough. It's Jesus Christ that qualifies all of us. There ain't a single one of us in here that's good enough. But because of the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he qualifies every single one of us. He makes us who we are. He gives us value. He gives us faith. In Exodus chapter 3, it's a really good example, I think, personally, of, of, of fear. Overcoming fear, working through fear, because I think that's a lot of ways how God uh, how God takes us through things. And so everybody is or most of us in Exodus chapter three are familiar with the burning bush. Right. And I'm going to read just a couple of verses and you go back and read chapters three and, and chapter four uh, for for context. And so I'm going to be grabbing some scriptures out of there. OK. And, and just, just kind of bear with me because it goes along with what we're talking about today. But in verse 1, it says, Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb at the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So he's, you know, he says to himself, hey man, i got to turn aside and take a look at this. Now there isn't a single one of us in here that if we didn't see a burning bush standing before us that was not incinerated, uh, we would probably want to investigate why. We're a little sensitive in the state of California because half the state burns up. Right? If we see something on fire, we're probably going to try and put it out. Right? But do not miss the point. The point is, is that all of us encounter a burning bush in our life a time or two. What? It's God getting your attention. Right? It's God going, hey, 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 come over here. I need to talk to you for a second. And it comes sometimes in a peculiar way, I guess you could say, right? Unorthodox. You mean God works that way? Yeah, to get our attention. He gets our attention and says, hey, come over here. Uh oh, what's going on? He tells him in verse 10, he says, Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Just for information's sake, Israel had been in, 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 under Egyptian rule for 400 years. Amen. By design, but... They had been there for 400 years. It's nigh unto the time for them to come out. Amen? God says, hey, you're going to be there for this long. It's time for you to come out. At some point, it's coming out. You go, well, wait a minute. That's long before Moses was ever thought of. Right? Well, in our eyes, as we would understand it, not in God's, but, right? It's long before Moses. So he, he's telling Moses, hey, come here. I got something for you to do. Oh, now we're starting to get into a scenario. Now, if you remember correctly, why wasn't Moses in Egypt? Egypt. 
He killed somebody, didn't he? He's talking to a murderer. Moses rose up and killed an Egyptian who was mistreating one of his Jewish brethren, didn't he? So he took off and ran down to Midian, didn't he? He was down there for about uh, approximately 40 years. 40 years? That's a long time. Yes, it is a long time. Wait a second, wait a second. So God's talking to a murderer and a... What do, what do you call him? A murderer and a... A, a what? Fugitive. Thank you. A murderer and a fugitive. Thank you, brother. Well, God doesn't, you know, he wouldn't do that. God never said nothing about it, did he? Well, that's not right. You don't get to make the rules. He does. He's a sovereign God. That's how that works. <laughs> okay. Get over those things. And he says in verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? What is that? We call that self-doubt, wouldn't we? Now, you've got to understand that he's got to go. The first Pharaoh died. Pharaoh's dad died. Amen? So the, the second Pharaoh would have been, you know, what, what we would call today would have been his adopted brother, right? Moses would have been his adopted brother or stepbrother, if you wanted to say. You could, you could kind of look at it different ways. So Egypt and Pharaoh and the kingdom over there was not a foreign concept to him, amen? But he was no longer welcome because of what he did over there. Do you think this man might be fearful of going back to his house to tell them, hey, oh, and by the way, this cheap labor, this nation of Israel that you have in your possession, lock, stock, and barrel. I mean, they got the whole thing, right? I'm going to lead them out. What? The audacity for him to go before Pharaoh, the audacity, the, 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 the audacious nature in which he is going to approach Pharaoh is lunacy. Do you understand from man's standpoint, that is crazy. There's crazy and then there's this. That's nuts. You're not even supposed to, he's not even supposed to be going there. He done left 40 years ago. He's hiding out. Got a wife and kids, the whole bit. He's pretty much thinking, I'm, I'm probably done. Now, God had told him, even way back when, I got something for you. Right? Well, he probably thought, well, maybe that's done deal. I'm done. Well, then the burning bush comes up. You're like, uh-oh. <laughs> right? It's like, what? what's going on here, right? You're going to go back and tell them, by the way, I'm going to lead Israel out. Whoa. Yeah, I only bring those things up because sometimes when you look at these scriptures and when you just read them to read them, you lose sight of the fact that, hey, there's a backstory to go along with this and put yourself in Moses' sandals. I was going to say shoes. But put yourself in Moses' sandals. That is not just crazy. You could argue 
that it would be a suicide mission. Would you not? I, I don't know. So, for Moses to be fearful, you got to at least sympathize with the guy, right? you got to be like, oh yeah, I don't think I'd be interested in wanting to do that. And then if the Lord asked you to do that, you'd be thinking, well, are you sure about that? Verse 12, he said, certainly I will be with you, and this shall be a sign that, you, that it is I who sent you, when you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. He told them where to go, right? Then Moses said, uh, said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The boss. God, I am sent you. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, has sent you. There is no greater authority through which you will go. There is no greater, no greater name on earth that will be spoken, that has been spoken or will be spoken, right? Than which you will go to Israel or to, to Egypt to deliver Israel. Now, he tells them all these things, and it, you know, he's, he's still fearful. Um, and he tells them the challenges that he's going to undergo. And, and if you skip down into verse 1 of chapter 4, then Moses says, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said to him, A staff. And he says, throw, throw it to the ground. And he goes through all those things with them. And he's like, well, you know, what, what happens if they don't listen? Hey, self-doubt, fear, right? That's fear. What, what happens? I don't want to fail. Who wants to be known as that guy? It's going to cost him his life. It's going to cost him his family. He's, wait a minute. He's fearful. So he feared Pharaoh. He feared all those things, all those scenarios, right? But he also feared who? His own people. What do you mean? Why would they say that? Well, who are you? Who are you going to come in here and tell us that you're going to deliver us? Because like it or not, you got to listen to what Moses says. Because God, not only is, is he appointed the leader, but God appointed him the leader. Well, I don't think that's exactly how that goes. That's exactly how it goes. It's in the scripture. He was appointed a deliverer of God's people. Amen? Yes. That's what he's going to do. But he's afraid that his own people aren't going to listen to him. Then he takes it one step further. Just another one. What about if Pharaoh doesn't listen to me? He t and he tells him, you go back and read there. What about if Pharaoh, and God even tells him, hey, he ain't going to listen to you the first five times. Newsflash. He's not going to. What? Wait a minute. It's going to be challenging. When you go to Pharaoh and say, hey, I'm going to deliver the God's people, and he's going to go, nah, I don't think so. What? Wait a minute. 
In comes the magic pixie dust that I talked about earlier. Hey, if you were in Moses' shoes, wouldn't you much rather go down to, 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 to Egypt and go, hey, I'm here to uh, collect Israel. All right, cool. See you later. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and grab our stuff and we're going to take off. Okay? And silently, Pharaoh stands by and watches his entire economic system crumble, by the way. His whole structure, you know, America's been around for about, what, 225 years, somewhere in there, give or take a little bit, maybe 240, something like that. I don't know. I haven't done the math. We still are about midpoint, a little, little bit more than midpoint where Pharaoh was with Israel. Put that in relationship to the time frame that's gone. That would be like upending the United States and saying, yeah, that democracy thing, it's still corrupt. You know, I'm going to go ahead and take your entire middle class because that's what this country's based on, right? We pay the most taxes. We pay the, we, we're the ones that – we're the backbone of the United States. If you just walked in and said, hey, um, I'm just going to go ahead and take the middle class, see you later. There would be a lot of upset politicians, <laughs> right? That would be crazy, crazy talk. Oh, and by the way, it's been that way for the last 200-and-something years. There, it was 400 years. So he's upending the entire economic structure, the entire being of, 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 of Egypt at that time. Whoa. He's just going to walk in with magic pixie dust and go, yep, all right, cool, all right, see you later. No, that's not how that works. That's not going to go that way. He told him what, and earlier in the chapter, he says, he's not going to listen to you at first. Oh. You know what that means? That's work. That means I got to go back to him? It means I got to stand before him? In other words, too, he gives him some, some uh, confidence, too, is that when he goes before him and he doesn't listen to him, it's not a strange thing either, right? God's given him that ability to understand that. He says, look, he's not going to listen to you. Don't worry, he will eventually. Huh? That means it's going to be hard. That's not a magic pixie dust like I was talking about. He didn't sprinkle it down, just go in there, retrieve them, and, and, and leave. No, you go back, you got a staff, you got all these different things, right? He says, turn the Nile red, they got the frog, the pestilence, all these different things, all these signs and all these wonders. In other words, you're going to have to earn it. You're going to have to work through these fears. You're going to have to work through all of this. To achieve the goal that God has called you to. But don't worry about it. If you do what I tell you to do, I'm with you. Right? I'm with you all the way. Matter of fact, he even gives them, gives them the, the end of the story. He tells them, it'll work. I promise. Then he looks at him in verse 14. Well, sorry, in verse 10. It says, Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue. So he even took it down to this level. He says, look, I can't talk well. I'm not good. Which is a legitimate fear, right? You're going to be standing before lots of people, millions of people. You're going to be standing before a pharaoh. You want to be able to adequately handle what, what God's told you to say. Right? He says, Now then go, and I, 
Oh, I'm sorry, in verse 11. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Ooh, there's a news flash, right? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go, and I, even I, will be your mouth and teach you what you are to say. But he said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Now, I would like to say that a lot of us would be like, I can't believe Moses doesn't get the picture. If you're looking at it that way, I would venture to guess you have not put yourself in Moses' shoes. And you're missing a very core component of this message. There isn't a single one of us in here, sitting in here today. There's some of us that would have crumpled at the burning bush. There's some of us that wouldn't have made it a quarter of the way through the conversation. And by God's grace, he doesn't all call us to this level that he's called Moses to, okay? But he does call us to similar scenarios for each one of us in our life. Similar scenarios, similar stances, similar places, similar physical obstructions and challenges that we're approached with that will cause all of us, every single one of us, to fear. Moses has given us the blueprint, and and God, through Moses and through these things, has given us the blueprint that says, hey, guess what? It's achievable, not through our own means. And I think he gives us a really good human aspect when you look at it. There's lots of different ways to look at this, and right, you can go, there's so many avenues for failure. Is there not? Like even this last one, he's like, "I, I, I can't speak. I'm not good at speaking. God says, I made man's mouth. Or who made man's mouth? Now, this is where we don't want to find ourselves. In verse 14, the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. And he said, is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I, even I, will be with you, will be with your mouth and his mouth. And I will teach you what you're to do. He says, you can use your brother. But he wasn't real happy about it because he didn't call Aaron to that position. He allowed it, but he didn't call Aaron to that position. And I do think, just for a side note, from a leadership perspective, is that there's leadership potential and leadership qualities in Moses that Aaron did not have. 40, 40 days up on the mountain, first thing Israel did was built a molten calf and... Aaron caved to them, didn't he? Moses had a backbone. Moses was a leader. Moses said attributes and skills that God said, I need you to do something to me, I, or, or for me, sorry. I need you to do these things. I need you to stand before the people. Aaron wasn't the person. Now, he was eloquent of speech. That's another subject for another day. That's a leadership discussion if you all wanted to have one. Just because you can speak doesn't mean you're a good leader. There's a big difference. Far too often, as God's people, we've qualified somebody as a leader of his people, of us, because he could speak, not because he can lead. It's a huge failure on our part. Happens a lot, actually. But you go down there, this is what I want you to do. Of course, we know how the story goes. It goes down, but you, you, you can see all these examples that are given to us. It says that Aaron becomes the mouthpiece for Moses. 
the journey that God has called us all to can be fearful, can be dangerous. Some of the challenges that we face and we're, you know, that we're in front of us can be daunting. Self-doubt comes up, uh, you know, problems that we encounter. And there's another, you know, sometimes we haven't asked God to sanction our journey. And when this happens, we're fearful. Well, what do you mean? In other words, are you doing what God said to do? Remember, it's all for his purpose and his plan. Amen. It's all for his plan and his purpose. So what we need to do as God's people is make sure the things that we are doing are of God. It's a fearful place to be when you're out there doing stuff that you ain't supposed to be doing. I'm going to go do this because that's what I want to do. Operative word there is that's what you want to do. Hit your knees and ask if God wants you to do that. Because if God wants you to do that, there's nothing that will stand in your way that will prevent you from getting it done. Doesn't mean that it won't be challenging. Doesn't mean that it's not, that it'll be easy. But if God is for you, who's against you, right? He tells us in Isaiah chapter 41. Verse 10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous hand. We have to understand that our fear fear can be staved off and extinguished by being reminded that we serve God. And there are key ways. Please understand this. Please, please, please understand this. Just saying it to ourselves sometimes does not do it. So what you need to do is you need to go to the Word of God and you need to read the Word. Read about those scriptures that where He strengthens and encourages us. Prayer. Prayer is another way that we can accomplish that. Fears will arise. I want everybody in here to understand that fear is a reality of human life. It's going to come up. Now, there are some fears that are more imminent than others and, you know, depends on the scenario and the circumstance. But they all arise nonetheless. Self-doubt and all those things, they present themselves over and over and over again. With every change and with every season of life and things like that, it happens. But God gives us the ability to overcome those things and work through those things. And we have to understand where to go to get that. The scripture I just read to you, 41.10 there, is that do not fear, I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will surely help you. In other words, if you put God first in your life, and if you lean on him for your your strength, he's going to take care of you. Mankind will fail you. This world will fail you. The best ideas that are out there written by all kinds of people, they're... You know, they're just ideas, sometimes theories. They will fail you. In Joshua chapter 1, in 
verse 9, he says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's with you wherever you go. Even when you make a boneheaded decision and you're not supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Or you're doing. You go, what do you mean? Well, God's looking down on you going, you ready to get out of here? Because at that point, you got to go, I'm ready to get out of here. I'm not where I'm supposed to be. God's going to get you out of it. Because that's what a good father does. He gives us the tools and the abilities. Fear happens. Fear is a reality. Anxiety is a reality. All those things, they're there. Self-doubt, it comes up. But God gives us the ability to overcome and to work through those things. May the Lord bless you all and keep you all. That's all I got.